comfortable like with where I'm at. Uh, yeah. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like, if you're especially, yeah, if you're out of town and stuff, yeah. Yeah, like, when I do the Calgary show, it's like a week. Right. Because you're, you know, it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday show. So I'm usually up there Wednesday, right till 12 in the morning. Mm-hmm. I come home, I'm just, like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a busy show. It's a crazy show. And my problem, too, is, like, I don't think of product ideas until, like, yeah. it, it's, like a couple months away and then I'm like, ah, oh, I don't have time for this or that. Um, too short notice. Cause I'll get like an idea like a couple months yeah. before. Uh, like I wanted to try to make some play mats oh, and stuff. Um, yeah. but I was kind of, I was researching different, uh, online stores and it yeah. seemed like a big investment and I was kind of worried about, uh, quality testing, like how dark would yeah. the print actually turn out on this, uh, material and things like that right. and shipping and all those things. So I kind of, uh, probably gonna try to ask around to see what other artists are doing because i know a lot of artists that do that stuff i just haven't i, di- I didn't have the time to do the research at that time yeah. so i think i'm gonna plan ahead for next year and try to get some play mats i've never done a play mat uh like my work doesn't really suit a play mat but like yours for sure yeah and your bags are amazing and then it's for me it's also finding the right piece so like i might maybe tailor a piece like make a new one and tailor it towards it because uh with some of the pieces that I had in mind, I would have to extend some of the artwork or have like some awkward, like, uh, cropping. uh yeah, cropping or like extending it, just having it black, which I wouldn't want to do. I would want it like perfectly yeah. fit. So, yeah, so I might, I might have to make some new pieces maybe and just tailor it or, or, or crop in on it, like have an idea. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like they don't, you don't really get much rights like at all to, uh, make prints and stuff of things like that. But, um, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay yeah, exactly. That. Yeah. You know? And, and going through that, like takes a lot of time yeah. and like, it's probably going to be a no in most cases, like, especially with a bigger company like star Wars. Yeah. But for like, me, yeah, it's not even worth, like, for me to even ask at this point. Like, I would have to ask, like, ahead of time and work it out. But Probably, like, a year ahead of time. Yeah, like, before even making the work. Like, it'd have to be in the contract. And in that case, I think with a lot of these ones, it's, uh, sometimes it's kind of take it or leave it. Like, they might go on to the next guy. Because um, sometimes I'm working through companies. Well, freelance is always tricky. Well, yeah, and, like, so, so what I mean by through companies is, like, I might be working through like a book publisher that's getting the license from, from uh, like Disney or Lucasfilm or whatever. So, so then they have to ask Disney, or, and they're probably going to get a no. So then there's going to be a lot of back and forth. So it's, I I always just uh, accept it as a job, like a work for hire job at that point. But it it would be smart in the future to try to get some more rights to something. But I think you have to be like a like really uh, a super established to have some leeway, some like. Uh, yeah so and I, i'm that, sure a lot of people get that, that. why we only see play mats from magic the gathering and they yeah pick and choose and the even artwork on that like it'll be certain artists that can get away like you know what i mean because 
like a John Avon, a guy who's been working for Wizards of the Coast for probably like 30 years, probably has a lot more pull than like if I was to pull up and do like a mirror card or something, I wouldn't probably be able to do it. Very well, like, you know, like a teacher or a print or whatever. Because I mean, I don't yeah. Right. Well, they actually, uh, Wizards is really good for that kind of stuff. All the artists have free reign to do prints, like any merchandising they want, like playmats and everything. I think there was some, like a little bit of restrictions. Like I think playmats was off the table for a little bit. Prints was always on the table um, to do. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't know much about their copyright stuff, but, but yeah, like, or their, their rights for the artists. But I do know that like Wizards is really good for it. Like you don't, you obviously can't, uh, you don't own any rights, like you don't own the artwork, but they allow you the rights to make the playmats right, and the prints and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, like you can't go and resell the artwork like to another yeah. company. Like they own all the characters and things like that. Like the obviously, the printing rights for that specific product would be theirs. But well, yeah, yeah. You can make a subsidiary item for yourself for sales. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Especially with digital art, because I mean, you don't have the physical paintings at this point anymore, right? Where oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And for those guys to be able to sell like the painting of the Black Lotus or whatever, that would be their bread and butter, right? You go to like Gen Con or Paint Con or whatever, Dragon Con, they would they would sell like raw art to somebody. Oh yeah, some of the eBay auctions that go off now are like just crazy. Like it's, I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but it could be like, I don't know, ten times the original commission, depending on the artist, of course. Like uh, Chris Ron is is famous for. For selling like really big oil or like really like nice, yeah. uh, I don't know the size of them, but being a non painter, when I see somebody else can really pull it off, like that play with lighting and value and stuff, I just man, I'm like, I just like wow, bow my head to them. It's just, I worked in black and white for my whole career, yeah. so when I see like somebody who can really cut, like do the color evaluation, I'm just, I'm in awe of them because I know I've lost that skill just because of where I've worked all this time, right? Um, every time I get asked to color something, I'm just like, so hard because I just my brain doesn't think that way anymore. Yeah. My brain goes, oh, this should be like a thirty-five percent create, a forty percent create. Maybe I'll put an eighty over here, and then oh, we'll do a texture on this side. You know, like I don't think. Yeah. And yeah, you would just need time to sort of get comfortable with it. Yeah. Like that's the part of the problem because you you'd be thinking of the same things like the forty percent gray or whatever, yeah. but you're thinking more like hue shifts. Yeah. But you, you'd have to totally do that for a long time to get comfortable yeah, with that like process. Yeah. Was it you saying that Wizards gives them a stack of their cards now too? Oh yeah. But yeah. it's like a blank back. Yeah, and they've yeah. even increased that I think a little bit because they used to. I think I might have this wrong, but they used to only do just the regular edition, but now they give you a stack of regular and foil. I think, but that could have been the same back then. I don't know. I think they call it an artist proof. Yeah, artist proof. Yeah. And they've left the backs blank so that because people are getting um, like alters and sketches done. Yeah. I only have one from an artist. I have. Uh, I don't have any, and I've got. I've just gotten into the altered art stuff, so I've been. Oh yeah. Stuff on like, God, I've been playing Magic for far too long, <laughs> so my collection's at that point where I'm like, I've got. I'm playing a lot of Commander, and so I've, I've built some decks, and I'm like, I want, um, unique lands, for example, like right. Goblin deck, Commander deck, and so each mountain is completely different, and I went with full art mountains, and then I bought a bunch of altered painted mountains and stuff. Oh, that's sweet. So it's like. The deck it doesn't make the deck any better. Yeah. Play it and it's like that mountain's awesome. 
awesome. Yeah, that's the funnest part about Magic for me too. Is just all the artwork and the love you can put into a deck, like by selecting things or like altering things yeah. or getting altered stuff. Like when I sit up at the table and I see somebody who's like foiled out their entire deck, I'm just like, wow. Right yeah. My favorite, uh, one of my favorites uh, for alters is Klug. Have you seen? I think his name's Klug. Yeah. 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 There's like there's one like I think it was Ulamog and it looked like a vintage like uh, science fiction monster poster. Yeah. It was, it was so like cool. The, um, those 1950s B-grade, like, paperback yeah. Awesome. It's amazing how much detail and crispness he can get into yeah. them and like. Yeah, and it's just perfect. Like, it looks like a Photoshopped thing. Like, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, there's some amazing, yeah. amazing talent out there. It's just, yeah. yeah. How big, like, because you've done stuff for Destiny, right? The, yeah. The dice game? Yeah. Because that's all shrunk down to card size, right? Um, how big are your originals then for that? Um, so it's all digital, but roughly I would probably be working at, like, uh, maybe eight and a half by 11 size. Like, if I wanted to print it out or something. Like, I like to work at that size because I'm probably going to... My monitor's roughly, like, well, it's bigger than 8.5 by 11, but, I, like, with all the stuff on the screen, sometimes I'm zooming down that much, but I'm, I'm constantly looking at it at, like, card size as well because in Photoshop I have, like, the navigator window, and yeah. so I can see it almost at card size, even smaller than card size at most times. So, so I'm always just thinking about, like, how the colors and values, like, break down and, like, is it legible, like, at a small scale, even though I'm working on it at a larger scale. Um, so, like I do that pretty much every with every piece because it's like you, you want to always sort of just in case it's going to be used for some promo thing. You want to work oversized in case it gets printed and then shrink it down. But you have to think about what it's going to look like shrinking so down. So there's a point where too much detail is bad because it won't show when it gets um, shrunk down. Well, it's not it's not necessarily bad. You definitely have to manage it. It's not the most important thing, but it is kind of important if like I said, it's going to be used for multiple purposes, like a promo thing or, cause then once you show it big, you want some of that detail. Like, uh, it's going to look weird if it doesn't have some of that. Or if they blow that up into a poster and use it as their mm -hmm. you know, backdrop of the show. Yeah. You want people to be blown away by it. Exactly. Like we were saying with playmats. Yeah. If you want your art to be nice on a card, nice on a playmat, there's so many variables. Yeah. I assume you gotta, you're always going to lose a little detail when you go down. So. Oh yeah. But, it, yeah. Oh, totally. And it's not a loss. Like as long as you plan, like it, your your piece shouldn't be uh, determined on the quality of the details. Like, because right. yeah. people are gonna see it from far away at some point, regardless, and they should should still be drawn in, or they should still get an idea of what the image is from far away. Especially because, like, even even when you're not looking for far away, but if you just glance at something. It sh you should be able to recognize what it is or it should make an impact like if you just look at it for a fraction of a second and that's the kind of stuff that when you shrink the piece down like those principles artistic principles apply to the quick glance as well and you should always make sure that's the most important thing first and usually that stuff's like determined in the sketch phase like um by planning everything and by the sketch phase i also mean like breaking down the value structure so like what shapes like grouping together the same values and um this is related to comics too because like yeah. some of that stuff can be like so simplified yeah. that it's a quick read yeah. The, yeah and it's like even cartooning and stuff like that yeah. it's like you want it to be uh the most impactful and most simple thing and that's kind of how i would approach like the beginning of planning a painting because you want yeah, like to have the impact and stuff 
start losing that part of the detail that you want. Uh, for example, if I'm doing a gag strip with Carson, like the gag has to be funny, but you have to be sure that people can discern what is the gag mm-hmm. in, in the strip, right? Like, now, what's the punchline? What is the thing I'm trying to make you laugh about? Or right. If I yeah. spend five hours on the building in the background, who cares? Like, it's not the important part. It's the, the guy joking on the soup in the foreground. It's the important part. Right? So yeah, like the artwork can't get in the way. It has to just be like, it should be like not, uh, should be a sort of like effortlessly, like nothing should distract from the story or whatever. Yeah, yeah it's, all, it's all part and parcel. I think you just sort of develop that as you go along. Like, yeah. you know, I struggled with it a lot when I got out of trying to draw like superhero comic books. So I was trying to be Mr. Crosshatchy guy, you know, like Eric Larson and Todd McFarlane. And, and then I, um, I found that all of the work I've been getting, well, all the work I've done in the last 10 years was all the gag stuff. Hmm. And it's like, so just to boil your art down from super hyper detailed cross-hatching for short wing guy to goofy, funny, bouncy, slash, hippie, swash, stretch, like cartoon guy, was that was a real struggle for like the first probably year. I think I fought that a lot. Hmm. And then once I started figuring out Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, that first year sucked. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. So was your first, when you first started with the, for the card game and the dice, and I'm assuming it might be the same when you're doing panels for a comic book, yeah. do you have to learn kind of where to put the photo? Like, you can't have everything all over the place. You want everything kind of, like, centralized? Yeah, especially for, like, cards and stuff. Like, it's usually pretty much centralized. Because you're... you're um, you might have a balance if there's like multiple figures. You might have a balance, and then maybe like the tension is is more centralized. But sometimes with like a creature, it's just one thing. You got to put it right in the middle, pretty much. Like I've seen, I've, I saw a card the other day that just it blew me away. And I can't. I wish I could remember the name of the artist that did it. It was a magic card, and he had a there's a dragon kind of coming out of the the clouds, and in the, in the middle ground, you have this dude standing on like a stone pillar. Mm. Like he's gonna face off with this dragon. And this dragon just messed up whatever was behind this dude. Now he's standing here facing this dragon. It's like the tension in that little like snapshot is so perfect. And I was like, God, I wish I could do that. Like that's just so good. You know, like the, the mm-hmm. artist has really done a great job on telling a story with that one simple image. Um, like when I'm doing a car- cartoon, so like for example, the new cartoons that came out, um, I'm always trying to lead the reader through the story. So I try to, have something on the bottom of the page that makes you need to flip the page and then I know that on the last part of the story that that's your, that had to be the punchline so I spend a lot of time sort of thinking about how to lead you through each of the panels from the thing to the next thing to the next thing and, you know trying to slide I always try to sneak people in that I know and, you know I do all that stuff after like if that's always my, my extra thought is like who can I sneak into the strip this month and then who can I put my head on it is there a car I really like that I saw on the street? Is there something I want to slip in there? And, and, and so that works for me. Um, but yeah, it's all like pre-planned. Like I do a lot of thumbnails before I sit down and do the final finish. Um, and mostly I'm doing digital stuff these days. The, the last strip I did, I did all on paper. I was watching a movie with my wife. And I had the script and it's one of those things where the script was like handed to me and then you went fairly quick. So I kind of sat down and started thumbnailing and then before I knew it, so for yours, do you get more of a, 
like a script format or a storyboard kind of you see for Hollywood or how does it come? Carson and I have been working together for almost 10 years and we've got like a shorthand. So I don't get full scripts anymore. I get like punchlines and gave a couple of ideas of what he wants to have in the script. But for the most part, I'm driving the visuals and this gives me the fun frequency I can have. And for card stuff, do they just give you like a written description of what they want going on or how do they convey to you then? Um, I usually get, yeah, like a, a paragraph, maybe less. Like, it's just a couple sentences, maybe. Uh, sometimes it's just like, this is the person, this is the mood. Like, they might be doing this action or that. Like, this is the focus. Uh, but um, then you kind of, like, it's not, like, overly described. Like, if there's a specific uh, ship that needs to be included, that'll be mentioned, or, like, an item. But um, most of the, like, the background and, like, lighting choices is all up to you. Just... You kind of have to, it's all, it's kind of a little bit ter- determined by the mood, but you're kind of, uh, your artistic uh, choices come in on like how to portray that from there. It's not, it's not like overly spelt out. Do you send them a few kind of variants when it comes to that? Always, yeah. Like, and I try to make them like pretty different because uh, y- you want to give as many options and just see which like avenue uh, they resonates most with what they had in mind and stuff like that sometimes like and you don't want to show too many because you might end up sending like one of your worst ones what you, like the one that you didn't like and they'll pick that one yeah. and so that. yeah that that definitely can happen so you, you usually just want to send the ones that you think are working the best and the ones that you'd be interested in doing and, and just i usually do way more though and i and i discard the other ones because usually you sort of uh test out the first obvious ideas and now that those are on the paper, you can kind of go on to some other avenues and kind of like, I basically start, yeah, with those obvious ones. Then I'll be like, okay, well, what if I did the opposite of that thing? And then what if I did like half of the opposite of that and, and this other idea and just keep riffing on that and eventually I'll find something if I have enough time to explore different yeah. avenues and stuff. So how often has that happened where you're like, why did you pick that one? Um... Well, not very often. Like, so I'll end up only showing like two or three, maybe, if if I've or if I found a good one. Like, I'll just keep keep going until like uh, I find something that really works or like really resonates. But uh, I I wouldn't want to send them something that uh, that I would like wouldn't enjoy doing. I guess yeah. It just Cause I remember doesn't happen very often. With you about the coloring book, I believe. Mm-hmm you were surprised by because you had sent them more than there were pages worth yeah and you were kind of surprised by the ones they plucked out and didn't make the cut yeah the the problem you run into when you're doing anything like gags or if you're doing like with the coloring book that's been kind of like some some of the Saskatchewan history things like that is um I had to keep in mind that people were going to have their own some ideas that I was really disappointed didn't make it in but I knew weren't, were not going to make it in because it's clean cut from the subject right like and it's really disappointing but I mean it's the way it goes so was there any that just artistically you thought would have made it that didn't oh, or yeah for sure yeah especially when I was doing a lot of the uh, Aboriginal history stuff and I wanted I wanted that in there because it's our history and to 
to see some of those cuts, it's just really like, you know, it really, it really sucks. I really wanted to see those in before. Um, yeah, it was just disappointing, you know, because it's like, um, it's part of our history. But I mean, this is a publisher, they've got to make those decisions based on how they think it'll be received. And I can see their point, but I don't think we were really being, um, I don't think anything I was presenting was anything that wasn't either being represented properly or wasn't truthful representation or respectful. So to me, it was a little disappointing that they, they cut some of the ones that they did. Um, like I did the Poundmaker First Nations and then I did um, uh, a couple of pieces on the fur trade. I mean, the fur trade happened, sorry. Right? Like, yeah. colonization happened. Residential schools happened. Are they great? No. But we, if we don't talk about it, what happens? They, they don't learn. So I felt like they were important pieces to have in there. So seeing them get cut and having, you know, the static drawings from like a, a parade end up in there instead was really kind of disappointing. But I mean, I'm not the guy that makes that final call. So do you like being independent for that reason? that mm-hmm. you get more, call more of your shots? Absolutely. That's why I did Egg on my own. I knew that if I put Egg the Idiot Caveman out there under another publisher, they'd want to change the bag. Because they, they would go, well, kids are going to be offended by idiot. And it's like, well, he's an idiot. I mean, <laughs> what can I say? Egg the very stupid caveman? I mean, someone's going to take offense to that, too. Like, I mean, we're at that age where you have to bubble wrap everything, right, for safety's sake. And... I mean, I'm doing a book about a caveman who's terrible at being a caveman. He's an idiot. I mean, there's no other way to put it. He's just stupid. He catches himself on fire. He hooks himself with a fish hook. He's, like, getting eaten by things that are... He's trying to hunt. Like, it's it's slapstick, stupid humor. It's not meant to be taken seriously. But if somebody else gets their fingers in there, then they're going to start making changes, and I didn't want them to, so I did them on my own. Yeah. And I'm assuming there's a balance, because you've done a lot of stuff where I'm assuming someone with Star Wars is looming there and making final decisions and very, like, the creativity probably gets crunched down and you seem to have yeah. done a bunch that's very, yeah, I'm doing it my own, but then there's a, a, an exposure yeah. kind of degree to it too, eh? Yeah, I, there's a bit of a balance. I mean, there's things that I do. When I was working with, when I, all the work I've done with McIntyre for Cell, they were very hands-off for the most part. The only time I really had any real issues was when we did the coloring book and they were cutting out some stuff that I really wanted to have in. And I didn't like the color choice that they chose for the cover, but whatever, that's, that's fine. I gave them... You know, it was bright yellow, colors. right? Uh, it was uh, kind of a reddish-brown. Was I it? Wanted, okay. Yeah, I wanted something different. I wanted something that was really would fly off the shelves and kind of pop, but I gave them their options. That's the one they picked. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that was know, already after two of the, you know, for Saskatchewan? Yeah, our, that was our, my fourth book with them, so... Kay. Yeah, so we, we've been around a bit, and, you know. Um, and, I mean, that whole thing came about with the one-line email, right? It was just one of those things. So, I mean, I wasn't too goofed up about it. And the book was being printed. I didn't have to pay anything for it. And they're getting paid. So, hey, that works. <laughs> you know? And I'll take what I can get. <laughs> no, that's At fair. That point. Um, I'm assuming, like, because you... I'm assuming you've worked under more creative control. And you said you even went off and was it you met with some of the lucas people like i don't remember <coughs> that. um no i haven't really met with any lucas people like i met uh 
a couple of the art directors that I worked on with uh, Fantasy Flight Games and stuff like that. Um, but uh, yeah, with that, it's it's. Um, I mean, you, you kind of it's it's kind of straightforward what you're doing with those things. Like you're just you kind of do your research on like what character you're doing and what like location it's going to be, and then you try to make it not look like something that's already been seen in that movie or whatever where that thing was initially seen so the only restriction is yeah like make it your own like or make it kind of like something we haven't seen before but make it still that thing so it's just it's pretty straightforward uh as long as you're capable of doing that then you're pretty much golden uh sometimes it's a little difficult like um when something's like very iconic and you kind of uh you you can't help but see it as that scene from that particular movie like if it was only seen in that kind of way um, I mean, then it's like, you kind of just like try to show it from a slightly different angle or doing something slightly different, but as long as it's not a snapshot from the movie, yeah. that's kind of what they're looking like for. Like said, we want Boba Fett flying with his jetpack. There's how many scenes in the movies that you've yeah. seen that or him with his rope thing, right? And especially now with Mandalorian out, everyone's seen a lot more of the gadgets that they have to do. I haven't watched it yet. I haven't watched it either. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Baby Yoda's taking over the world right now. Yeah. I to say I'm watching all of the people that I know who do um, a lot of conventions and fan art. They're all like there are so many Baby Yoda pictures going around on Instagram and Facebook right now. I'm just like I'm gonna just avoid it for a while. <laughs> you know? And that's too yeah. I mean, like I went out of my way. I got Disney Plus right away. Yeah. I don't like they have a free week when oh. you get it, but. You know how Netflix, they dump a season on you, mm-hmm. whether it's 8, 10, 12 episodes? Yeah. Um, they're smart because they get you to sign up for the free week. And then, but Mandalorian comes out weekly like a television show. Yeah. So you either A, hold off, wait for the whole thing to dump, and then maybe sign up for the free yeah. week. So that might be smarter in your end because now I've done my free week and now I've, I'm subscribed. Well, my wife and I have been sort of talking about getting it. It's just, we already have Crave. And I think that's the problem is Netflix got super popular and now everyone's pulling their stuff out. Like I think yeah. the clock's ticking on The Office. So now everyone's binge watching The Office. Oh yeah. Because yeah. It, in January, I think NBC has a streaming service. And yeah. so now everyone's pulling their stuff out. I think all the Marvel TV shows are slowly going to slide over, all sliding over to, to Disney. Disney. Yeah. But you're younger, but I don't know if you, from when I was younger... There would be basic cable for fifty yeah. bucks, but if you wanted TSN, it's in it's with these three other channels. The packages, yeah. yeah. The packages, yeah. And I think we all went the Netflix route mm. to get away from that. It's like fifteen bucks a month. I watch what yeah. I want, but now everyone's creating almost that, like you said, yeah. the package scenario, right? Right. What really yeah. pushed my family into the Netflix stuff and the streaming was we we had cable. We had like a ton of channels. And we were paying, I don't know, like over $100 a month for cable, right? And I realized one day that none of us watch anything that's on there. Like, we're all streaming stuff. Like, my daughter will get up in the morning, and if she wants to watch a cartoon, she goes to Netflix, she finds her cartoon, she'll watch the whole damn season. And she won't go on cable. Even though I had the Disney Channel, and I had Cartoon Network, and I had, like, and I thought, well, what am I 
watching it and why have it? And now what's going to happen is everybody's going to come up with their own streaming platform and you'll get that saturation in the market. And I think people will get really tired of it really quickly. And mm-hmm. then some will drop off. That's just natural selection, right? Strong will survive. I'm hoping that um, Netflix can weather the storm and stick around because they have an established product in there. They've got a decent platform. And they're already producing their own shows. <laughs> they're too, already producing right? their own content, and actually, their content's not bad. Like I'm enjoying a lot of the Netflix creative stuff. Um, we just finished watching Mindhunter. Oh, that's so good! Yeah. A couple weeks ago, and what a great show! Like, um, I'm loving the the variety of things that you can find. My wife's really kind of hooked on these Australian um, dramas, and she's watching a ton of those. So she's everybody's going to find something they like my daughter loves horses she's found a horse kids tv show on there that she watches about these girls that do horseback riding and they're part of a horse riding club and she's she loves it she's watching every season so we're going to have to keep netflix at that yeah you know but um i like going on creative because creative's got a million documentaries and i'm i'm a history guy i like to learn stuff and i like to i like to have something playing in the background while i'm drawing that i don't have to pay a ton of attention to so I can kind of get the info, but not have to really, you know, sit down and watch with my eyes, right? And uh, and I find that that's good for that. I also like Letterkenny, which is, you know, great little funny half-hour sitcom show. So it's um, so I find I'm getting a lot of stuff out of that that program or that that platform. Um, yeah, I, I think I think we're going to see in the next year a ton of them pop up, and then a ton of them are just going to go away. The wave's coming already. Yeah. Like, I think when NBC gave notice, they're like, we're pulling the office. And I th- did they charge them a stupid amount of money for Friends again? hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. For one TV show. Yeah. But a generation is coming up that has just discovered that show. Yeah. You know? And so it's probably very lucrative for them, yeah. yeah. Obviously. It's getting streamed. People are, are watching it. What I find interesting is of that show have aged very well mm-hmm. as far as our takes on some things in modern you know um, and so some of the things that they're taking offense to kind of makes me chuckle to me I remember that episode and that was funny why are you offended by this <laughs> but you know we're in a different era we grew up you know um, there wasn't something called fat shaming it just you know it happened and yeah. I'm a big dude I lived through it you know like <laughs> even I rewatched Community a while ago mm-hmm. and what is that 10 years old yeah like, it's not mm-hmm. an old show but the first yeah. two three seasons I was watching in some of their bits I was like I don't think that would fly anymore and that's 10 years I even yeah. watched um, the first Iron Man like oh yeah Disney yeah. Plus is for me yeah. um, it's got all the Marvel stuff all the Star Wars stuff and strangely all the national geographic documentaries. Well, I saw they had that geo and that, that got me interested because I'm a, I'm a documentary guy. I like listening to stuff. Um, so when I saw that, I was like, ooh. So we'll see. We'll probably end up getting it sometime down the road and checking it out. Um, I already have it downloaded to the PlayStation 4. I just haven't turned on the subscription. Yeah. The free week's brilliant. Yeah. But, like I said, they're slow rolling us on Mandalorian, right? And so... Yeah. I've 
rewatched all episodes one through six already. I've rewatched Rogue One. I've like I'm yeah. going through it all, and I've never seen um, what's the one animated series, um, Rebels. Oh yeah. Oh, I liked Rebels. See, I haven't watched it. Oh, I I watched it with Logan because he was the, at the right age when that show came out, and he was just getting into the Star Wars stuff. He you know, saw the first three movies. So one of the live action stuff, but I tried to get her to watch like the Clone Wars with me, and she won't even. She'll make it like five minutes in, and she's like, "I'm done, can't watch anymore." And Clone Wars was huge. I liked Clone Wars. I thought it was really well done. Like I feel mm-hmm. like every third kid ten years ago was like in a Commander Cody outfit, or maybe more yeah. than ten years. That's what fifteen it's years ago. Fifteen years ago, yeah. I think episode three is fifteen years ago. Fifteen. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. One thing I was gonna ask you because you have the Star Wars stuff now but whenever we talk art and when you came over here you seem more to be a fantasy guy yeah i well i've always kind of straddled the line for sure but uh i i'm always like interested in science fiction stuff and like more like i guess like um sci-fi like fantasy sci-fi for like star wars because it's not like not like it's like hard sci-fi right but i'm always kind of like straddling the line between those kind of concepts but i think i always and more attracted to the fantasy stuff, uh, whether it's like high fantasy or like dark fantasy or things like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like, and I'm not like super deep into like all that stuff. Like I'm still, like I said, straddling the line. I I have a little bit of interest in either one, but, uh, what's your favorite fantasy world? Yeah. Um, well, I I probably would I probably would pick magic, for yeah. sure. Like, I, there's just something about magic. I, I hear you. Like, it it takes a lot of like I've been playing magic for probably 15 years, mm-hmm. and I came into it. I hadn't played a single game, and I had some friends that started playing, and they invited me over to play one night, and I didn't even have a deck. They just handed me like a, a zombie deck, and I was like, play this. It's easy. We'll we'll teach you as we go, kind of thing. And I, mm-hmm. I was hooked from. And so, like, there's just something about the world that they've built. It's got that that kind of a combination. There's some technology, science fiction in there, and then there's some sword and sorcery stuff. But they've managed to build, like, this rich tapestry of interconnected multiverses mm-hmm. that I find really just cool. And I love, like, I was really, because I grew up on science fiction and stuff when I was a kid, I really loved the Eldrazi stuff, like, when they came out with these, like, these giant creatures coming out and breaching, like, the... The, the, the universes and threatening everything I thought wow that's cool that's a great story like that's an impressive story and to have all these heroes these planeswalkers have to band together to face these things I thought that was super cool mm-hmm. it was like magic's version of the Avengers so I really got into that that set so yeah, yeah. yeah. does the lore matter to you? Um, I, I guess I wouldn't say I'm like as deep into the lore I, I really like a lot of just the sort of like atmospheric stuff of different uh fantasy genres or worlds so like i also like dark souls worlds quite a bit uh and i also really like the tolkien uh universe as well um but but lore wise like i don't think i have like a preference um it's it's all kind of just like 
what kind of grabs my attention, like what looks cool and things like that. Uh, and Magic, that was the first one that did that for me because I didn't really know about Lord of the Rings as a kid, but I knew about Magic. Yeah, I grew up on, I was a weird kid, I liked to read a lot, so I grew up, I read, um, I got introduced to The Hobbit, I got my hands on the illustrated edition that Charles Bess worked on, mm. and the art was so just dream to me, and then I read it and I realized that this was actually based off of a book, so I went and got the book, and then I ended up reading, like, The Lord of the Rings, and I couldn't get into the similarity and, and any of that other stuff, but I love the, um, I guess I just love the of the stories, I love that that hero's tale. You know, the, the rise, the fall, the you know, the, the facing the insurmountable odds, and then they win at the end, and you're like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, um, I love that that feel of it. You know, and and he, I think with the Lord of the Rings, I, I really enjoyed that you sort of had three separate heroic tales going on at the same time, but they all mm. intertwined, and all of them sort of rested on like one decision that dooms everything. <laughs> so. <laughs> he did a great job of like building that that sort of tension in the books, and it carried over into the movies. Uh, I think that's because Peter Jackson was such a fan of like the books. Um, so for me, I, I kind of grew up on that stuff, and I also started reading um, Elric of Melbourne, the the left-handed. I loved him because he was left-handed, and I was a left-handed kid, so I knew growing up I was the oddity of the only left-hander in my whole school. Oh wow! So, like seeing a, a left-handed ass-kicking sword fighter. <laughs> so I bought all of the books and I read them all. Um, so I kind of grew up on the swords and sorcery sort of stuff when I was a kid. Loved the Conan stuff. But I bought all the black and white books when they came out. And, um, I got really into um, the 2008 stuff, the Tread Dread, and uh, the British comics. Really, the British comics really grabbed me for some reason. I really enjoyed them. Hmm. I think I found I liked the sort of the tongue and cheekiness where they would mix in a little bit of reality, but then they would put so much oddball shit in there that you'd just be like, this is so bizarre. But you would kind of catch that they're talking about something that's really happening in the world a little bit kind of be in the background. Like Judge Dredd was like so very the 80s. Oh, yeah. You know, Reaganism and Reaganomics and the Cold War ending and all this other stuff. And it's like this super dictatorship, like police state. And it's like, kind of feels familiar. <laughs> <laughs> You're both magic guys, and yeah. I kind of flutter in and out. Do you think it's, like you said, they have a multiverse. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's what keeps it fresh? Because it's like Ravnica, Theros. Um... I think in the last, like, when I started playing, magic was just sort of starting to come back. So it kind of faded out of, like, popularity. And then I think Hearthstone really got people interested in the whole fantasy card fighting sort of thing and then Hearthstone became I haven't played Hearthstone in a while I was playing really because I was really into magic I was playing magic online but their interface was just so dull it was just so un, like, but it was the original like 2003 program yeah, yeah and they had they just they took so long to update it right and then the only thing that they would do anytime they came up with a new update or a new version of it it was like some like limited version of the game only available on PlayStation or Xbox right. or limited online and you couldn't take your library that you built into this thing, right? Which drove me crazy. They had all the fun animations, they had all that cool like looking stuff. But then Magic Online was still just this top down tabletop, here's your card, you tap them. Something happens, you win, you lose, bang, done. And um but I like that you could play every format. You could have an eight player game 
casual player, I love multiplayer, I love commander. And um, when they came out with the arena thing, I got really hopeful that they were going to roll Magic Together Online into Arena so that you could take your database of stuff that you already put money into and then have all the fun cool interactions with it in all the different formats. But they We all know that does never happen. They're not doing that. <laughs> they want Arena to be an eSport game. They've designed it to be an eSport game and it pisses me off because it's not what I want. I don't want to play an eSport game. I've played Arena a whole bunch. I don't enjoy it. And I don't enjoy it because of the limited card pool. Because you're fighting the same freaking deck over and over. And we just over. had this conversation True, yeah. before you showed up. Yeah. They're starting to take some steps to introduce Sorry, old stuff, yes. but it's it's a very slow process. Like I guess yeah. they've been in beta until like just recently. Yeah. So I guess give them like we can give them some slack for that. But yeah, I've but been in and out. Like, but it's it's yeah. a like, they've only introduced like twenty cards uh, into this historic format. Yeah. Um, but well, it's it, it's interesting to see where it goes. Like now, brawl is kind of a thing on there. Yeah. You can't do like multiplayer, which right. would be kind of nice to. Which is what I, really want. I just don't know how they would pull that off. Like they would have to do a lot of work like interface wise yeah. to pull that off so i don't see that happening for like a long time unless yeah. they've been kind of working on it in secret and obviously they can't yeah. they're not showing something or something but um if, if yeah yeah that would kind of i think it it wouldn't really work right away for them because it would kind of it might divide the player base quite a bit. Oh, because then, yeah, and then those you're only playing like legacy yeah. or whatever or modern, right? And so, uh, yeah. they I think they want to keep arena as fresh as possible, like with all the people playing the same formats, right? And well, keep their numbers high that way. Right. Yeah. And I get that. From a money standpoint, I get that. They're a business. They need to keep the business flowing. But from the player standpoint, it leads to burnout. Mm-hmm. Because it's the same Like it's the same reason I stopped playing standard tournaments, right? Is because you're, I feel like you're just chasing the next standard rush. Yeah. So as soon as a new set drops, you're like studying all the cards and trying to figure out what's the new format going to look like. And what deck do I need to build and play for the next like six months, right? Yeah. And then you're sort of looking at top eights and you're watching like tournaments, and it's not, it's not like you're watching because you're enjoying something. Somebody else sort of solved the problem, but you're watching because you you don't want to get your ass kicked. Yeah, you want to know what to copy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then it just becomes a series of like, oh, I'll play that deck again. Oh, I'll play against that guy again. Oh. And it's I feel like you kind of boil it into this like this smaller card pool where you'll play the same eight decks repeatedly because everybody's doing the same thing you're doing they're all net decking yeah. and they're all, they're all finding their their strategy that they like whatever fits their play style and I feel like you, you kind of fight the same archetype over and over again mm-hmm. whereas Commander what I really love about Commander with the singleton format uh, even with tutors and things like that you still have like a 3% chance of finding that card right like, Right. and then odds are you're, you're usually playing at a table with like 4 to 8 people depending on set up right so odds are somebody at the table has an answer to whatever john is doing that's mm-hmm. in control right like um and i love that like i love the magic community for um the ease of just 
making friendships in your group, right? Like it's my son and I went to the last pre release, the Canada pre release that they had here. And we didn't know the two guys at the table that we were playing with and we've just become buddies, right? Like it's just you sit down and over a couple hours of just pissing around and playing magic, you can start making friendships and like everybody sort of is at the same even playing field. Like I think the first game we played I won and it was totally by accident because we all missed the card interaction. Mm. And then in the middle of the interaction I'm like, damn it, you win. <laughs> so and I was like, Oh, you're right. Because none of us got it. They're all new cards. Like so you're kind of learning as you go, and then the next interaction, I got knocked out first because I mean the guy that wins first usually the first guy out in the next game, and and that's totally fine. That ha- you gotta expect it's gonna happen, right? So, I mean, I also like that you don't always the pressure to win isn't quite there because in multiplayer, odds are you're not gonna win most of the time. Right? You have too many like you have too, too many yeah. things stacked against you. You have so many yeah. responses other people can do to you. Right, yeah. So they start going, oh, shoot, you played that card. All yeah, right. everyone team up on him, yeah. Because that, that looks yeah. innocuous now, but it's going to become a thing. And um, my son's very bad for that. He, he, he's a very, um, he's a funny player to watch because he doesn't have a second gear. He just puts the foots together yeah. and just tries to race for the ending. And it's, you just become the first threat, yeah. And then like it's like... Arched. Yeah, that's the easiest way to lose the game, I think. Yeah. Easiest way to be the first one out. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. You know, and then he gets kind of frustrated because he gets eliminated. But I'm like, dude, if you would just learn to politic a little more and just kind of lay back a little bit, be the table friend for a couple of turns, you would live to the end and maybe pull off, like, wait till everybody else has fired their salvos and then survive it and then knock us off. That's kind of how I am, too, like, with Commander. I've been playing a lot more Commander recently, and... uh I've always been kind of like I I want I kind of get very like solitaire like sometimes and you just want to do the most optimal thing with like okay I can get this out and this out and this out and then before you know it and then somebody board wipes and you lose all your stuff yeah. so I kind of have to yeah like ease back on the gas a little bit yeah. as well or just have and I'm trying to build my decks so that I can like recover from things a little bit more have yeah. have more variety of like card draw or like yeah. recursion or things like that I, I like to try to play stuff that's weird like I try hmm. to win. Mm-hmm. I built a Ramos, a Dragon Engine deck that has zero lands in it. Oh, wow. It's all, it's basically an art, an affinity deck huh. with just artifacts. And then you start putting out mana, and before you know it, you're going infinite combo and fireballing the table, or huh. turn all your things into creatures, or all the other kinds of wacky interactions are going on. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't like to build decks that are straightforward. Sometimes you don't realize it. You like you'll build a deck and you think it will be cool, but then you played and you're like, ah, that wasn't that fun. Yeah. Um, and and like decks where it's like it, you always have like a like a there's like sort of one path to victory and you just yeah. you kind of have to do all the steps. It feels like you're going through the motions. Um, yeah. so I try to avoid that stuff as well. Um, yeah, I try to get like multiple ways to win, or mm-hmm. if I can find a way to win, like eliminate my entire library and then I can't draw a card, so I win the game. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, like that, right? yeah. Or you mill everybody at the table. Like, because milling yeah. is just so hard to do in Commander. If you can find a way to yeah. mill the entire table, it's kind of like a, yeah. <laughs> I, I used to be on the mill plan, but recently, uh, just like certain mill cards like i would just yeah. like i even had like some side mill plans like i was it wasn't even a full-on mill deck yeah. but it ha- has been garnering a lot of hate like people really don't like well, just even yeah 
Oh, and there's that too. Yeah, I got I got milled out recently from Patriot Serving. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Is that the one in standard? No, it's like an old oh, scarecrow okay. kind of thing, or is it even a scarecrow? I forget. He is a scarecrow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I only go on arena, like I think, like you said, you kind of yeah. just pop in every once in a while. Yeah. And I ran up against the mill deck. Oh yeah, there's a new mill deck that's there really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty harsh. Yeah, yeah. I've seen yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty like good. Burn. I used to play mill on arena. Yeah, like I I've been really enjoying arena actually quite a bit. Yeah. I don't play the ranked ones ever. I I just play the Yeah, I used to only play ranked, but then I realized I just want to like find a certain new card in standard that's like really janky, like this one yeah. called Dance the Mance where like yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just play a bunch of artifacts and like gain life, draw cards, and then if they start killing my things or whatever. Yeah. Artifacts and enchantments. Um, Dance the Mance like can reanimate all of them from the graveyard because I'll generate like yeah. tons of mana eventually, and uh, I'll bring back like Mirror March with a bunch of other like yeah. creature things, like artifact creatures, and it'll just be like a, a sea of coin flips. Yeah. And uh, so it'll be like copying like thousands of things, and they'll all get haste, and I'll have like a twenty twenty like five twenty twenty artifact creatures, yeah. and I'll just like kill them. I just. I, I like doing that stuff. Is that more of like a commander yeah, thing? Oh, okay, it's just, cool. It's yeah. just a lord. It's just a Sweet. like Teferi's puzzle box. And yeah. Who's your commander? Uh, I think the commander for that one is um, the red blue planeswalker. Oh. Um, no, it's Jalera, the one that, that suspends cards. Oh, so I don't really know that one. You can kind of park a bunch of like next take extra turn cards off to the side. Oh, I see. The, yeah. The time is ticking down. Everybody knows. Oh shoot! In like four turns, we're getting this happening. Yeah. You got ways to take time counters off of the cards and things like that. But a lot of a lot of the deck is made with just like um, weird interactions. Like you'll put out a summoning egg and, and then you pop the egg and your opponent gets something really bad. <laughs> like a fancy untouchable ore. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something like that. You know, so you're sliding things into the other people's control and now that you're exchanging like it's just it gets really funny and hard to you have to really pay attention to like Okay, somebody played something, so because they played something, now this guy has to take his item and give it to them, and they have to give their item over to this guy, and that guy has to give his item over to this guy, and then, you know, somebody casts a spell, and the wheel goes around again. <laughs> so it kind of gets really, really interesting. I like mm -hmm. messing with the, the, the game state itself while we're playing. Mm -hmm. I think that's also a reason they're never going to, or at least not for a while, I don't think Arena is going to go backwards. No. Because I think it's a programming nightmare. Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. I think that's why they didn't progress MTGO for a long time. Yeah. The the previous one because, uh, they were just always trying to keep up with uh integrating the standard form, new standard format sort of or like the sets, and so yeah. it takes a long time. I think. Like I'm assuming, a card from 2019. Are you gonna know how it properly interacts with a card from 1996? And like, as the pool gets bigger, yeah. how many, like how many programmers are you paying? to fix every interaction of every yeah. what are they at for well, thousand, 10,000 20,000 magic cards there's over 20,000 I think I think 16 no I, I, I heard the number 16 yeah I think the problem is like once you get enough of the mechanics in there it's fine like I'm sure like a lot of the mythics that do weird things that's the problem but like well, I think there's all yeah the unintentional interactions right like they yeah yeah. 
super sympathetic to it when they go off and some crazy happens that you didn't intend to happen. Or or it just breaks the application. Yeah, it just like breaks the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just sort of see all these things happening and all this stuff's going on and then this, it just crashes and you're like, oh, it's some restart. <laughs> I went through one period uh, where it was still within like the Ixalan kind of, it was when like M20 came out, but Ixalan was still in standard, I think. Yeah. And I liked getting the uh, Polyraptor out that like when it got enraged, it created yeah. a copy of itself. Yeah. But then if you had another different Raptor, I think it was like Marauding Raptor. And you'd get infinite polyraptors, but if you didn't have a sacrifice outlet, then it would just like make the game go to a draw. So I would just intentionally, I went through, I got bored, so I would just do that every game, try to get to there, and just like watch it go, and then just like laugh. I actually set off something with goblins one time, and I can't remember what the heck I did, but I think it was just, the programming was off on it. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun trying to break the application, or not not break it, but like just seeing it do its crazy things. Yeah. yeah, how slow it'll go, or or you know, yeah. The only downside sometimes though with like even if you actually are trying to win with some of these kind of strategies, um, is if you get so many triggers, it starts to eat up your own turn clock. Yeah, like I've had like a mirror march thing where I've had so many coin flips and, and things entering the battlefield and triggers that I had to click yeah. through. And then as soon as I... I would have won because I had all these creatures with haste, but I didn't have, like, uh, any, more any more time. So as soon as... It skipped my combat step. I don't know if they fixed yeah. that, but that's, that was kind of annoying for a yeah, while. That's, yeah. That's happened to me a couple times. And it's like... It wasn't really my fault because, uh, I mean, like, I think they shouldn't be eating up your time, too. Because no. I think I wasn't even having to click on things, but it was just, like, resolving things, and it yeah. was eating up my time. And you've set stuff to auto-respond. Yeah, I did that. Like, should, respond all. Re- resolve all. So that that's kind of a shame. I don't I don't know if they fixed that, but or not. Yeah. I think if you give leeway on the, because I call it a chess clock. Yeah. Yeah. You need something like the Hearthstone had each guy seventy seconds per turn locked, right? But then that also, like you said, it includes animations, it includes interactions, right? So you're not actually doing stuff for 70 seconds yeah. you're waiting for all these things and tapping and interact like so many interactions but i think the second they give a little leeway on it on the chess timer there's going to be somebody out there that's going to break it yeah and well they they, they already do abuse it like yeah. that's the thing if, if they yeah. give like for the old one mtgo you just get like 20 minutes order right and you yeah. can just use it as much as you want so like if the guy didn't respond in like 10 minutes or something i think they forfeit but like yeah. you could waste the person like 10 minutes of time but on arena you can't really do that right you have the string kind of timer so it's like i don't know like 30 seconds to a minute and then you have to respond um so it's it's trying to mitigate not wasting like the 10 minutes of the person time but you can still kind of do that but in smaller increments like intentionally oh yeah Yeah. Yeah, it's not a perfect system, right? And now they have all these pets. Yeah. It's 
kind of a waste of space i think that the pets like they're kind of cool yeah. but i don't know i think it's a monetary thing right they, for sure they want to try and build in that desire to have like the oh i have the cool falcon right like you want to have the yeah. cool, you know you want to be the guy that just has the base account and start playing my music and you want to have the cool avatar and the cool whatever so you pay money to get that thing. the thing for me is they don't even seem cool because there's not enough of them kind of thing yeah. i guess over time there'll be more but oh it's like God. There's three now. There's three now, but like, still, it's like I don't know. Yeah, obviously, it's yeah. pretty gimmicky, but, but. Uh, I mean, I can see the mentality coming over from other games. Like I know on World of Warcraft, for example, there's something like 300 mounts you can get, and if you end up, if you're that guy that gets that like one percent mount that never drops, I've you know I've seen people like they hang out in the main city, right? And they're on that mount, and they're like, look at me, I got the pretty shiny horse. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, the black okay. something drink. Oh, and there's a bunch of them that are. So yeah, like we talked about Asmongold yeah. before, and he was talking about, um, I can't, some black drake. Yeah. And he was talking about it was like one percent drop off of this thing that's impossible to get to already. And yeah, yeah. So there's there's things like that. And I think that's the mentality that they're chasing after. Like they, the, it's really weird. I, I was at, at um, the Matrix, which is you know a, like a place where you can go and rent time on video games. And um, some, well, with some friends of mine and, and their kids and. And we're sitting there and we're all playing in a row and I was listening to these younger kids beside me and they're all angry because um, loot boxes are being taken out of uh, Rocket League, so, you know, the, the soccer game, yep. the vehicles. And this kid was angry because he had won some really rare whatever for his car, right? And now he's like upset because kids are going to be able to just go and buy that off of the storefront. And I can see his point, but it's sad to me that that's the point. <laughs> yeah like Like it's probably not like he probably didn't spend extra money for it it was something he just like like, won or something i'm guessing yeah so it's like yeah microtransactions and then there's um yeah like you said download content above and beyond yeah and if you're paying 80 dollars for a game like every every wow expansion we'll use that as the example every wow expansion is probably comes out at 60 to 80 depending on deluxe edition um you're paying 15 bucks a month subscription my son just purchased the new expansion and he bought like the elite version of it so he paid over a hundred dollars for wow there's they've done it three times in a row where if you put down six months worth of money you get a special mount yeah which is good for them it's good business they're getting a hundred dollars instead of fifteen dollars a month yeah you've got somebody who's guaranteed to be on for another six months but i'm I'm getting tired of the game i just i've done it all in there it's like i don't have anything left to do i don't have time to play you saw a classic just one game of the year right 
So, so World of Warcraft, which came out in 2004, just one game of the year. Oh, wow. They re-released it. Oh, see, I was lucky I never fell into World of Warcraft. I liked Warcraft, like, from 1 and 2. And once I went to 3, for some... I dropped off at 3. I don't know why. It kind of changed the aesthetic. Like, it was more like 3D top-down graphics. And I liked the 2D stuff. Like, or, like, more like the uh, just old, like, computer-like uh, pixel graphics. Uh, you know? The turn-based pixel games. Yeah. yeah, those are, those are I cool. I those games. They were a lot of fun. Yeah. I loved clicking on their orbs. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. Thumbs up. Go away. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting angry. Job's done. Job's yeah. Done. I'm surprised because with us talking about magic and the lore of that world, and it has twenty whatever years of like really rich lore. I feel WoW has just as good of a lore. Like I'm surprised you never got into it. Um, well, I had the art book from like the first two uh, games as well, but uh, I got that later on. But I kind of yeah, I went through a period like from ages like five to ten where I was really into that stuff, like when that stuff was first coming out, because I had a, a neighbor. Uh, cause I lived like from those ages in Winnipeg, uh, and my neighbor got me into that stuff. Like he was a little bit older and so he had like this magic stuff. So I didn't know how to play magic, but I collected it cause I liked the art. Um, I could easily enough play Warcraft. And so I, I got into that kind of stuff, but, uh, but then I kind of moved and I, I still kind of dabbled with that stuff, but some of my interests like shifted a little bit. I got more into like skateboarding or and I started like becoming like a teenager obviously so I got more into like punk music and all these kind of things I still liked fantasy and stuff like the movies and things like that and but I was playing different games like I got more into like shooters and and you know just like uh, I was more into like PC gaming like so yeah like uh shooters were really fun at that time and uh and I just didn't I never I kind of got away from the Warcraft stuff I guess and and a little bit away from fantasy stuff so like um yeah, and then I kind of got back into it the deeper I got back into artwork. Um, I always had a love for it. Like, I kind of went more into, like, horror films as well um, during that period. And then, but I think when also, like, when the Lord of the Rings movies started coming out, that's when I kind of learned more about some of the older stuff and, like, some of the origins. Because, like, for some reason, I didn't have any knowledge of Lord of the Rings before the movies. Like, I think I, I think I heard a joke of it in friends funnily enough i think they reference it once but i still that was i think when the movies were coming out i still kind of didn't know what it was like it was just coming to light for me yeah, i think my generation i grew up in like I'm, i was born in 73 so um i was a teenager in the mid 80s and there was a lot of like the 80s had a lot of um like a huge push towards that sort of sci-fi fantasy stuff mm. so i kind of i kind of fell into the lord of the rings um well, I mean, there wasn't an internet back then. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem with me, too. Like, it was, well, internet was obviously coming out still, like, it was, or, you know, when I was getting into stuff. But it was, like, uh, if, if your family didn't have the book in your house or you didn't, like, stumble yeah. on it in the library or you didn't have a friend who had the book, then how would you have heard about it? And that was kind of, I think, my case. Like, it just never came up. Or maybe it was one of those things, like, maybe I heard about it, but I didn't understand what it was. So I, I couldn't, I didn't have a frame of reference until... Yeah this movie thing was out and it's like, oh, that's cool. I had an English teacher who had a, a, a list she gave to everybody at the beginning of the class in the year. And it was like 25 books you need to read before you graduate high school. Oh, yeah. Suggested reading. And she had like Catcher in the Rye and like um, 1984. Like she put like like a variety of different genres and topics on there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
soon as I got the Hobbit. Like that, I've always been a real storyteller kind of person. Like I've always enjoyed storytelling. So when I, when I'm reading a writer who can paint the story and I can't see the end mm -hmm. before it gets three way quarter of the way through the story, um, I find I'm like I want more. You know, if I if I get through a book and I'm reading it and I, I can tell you where we're going, I stop reading. Yeah, it's boring. It's predictable. Yeah, yeah. you're going well. This this is like this is the pretty very typical. Yeah. Some of Stephen King's early early stuff was like that. It was almost very unpredictable because he would try to throw curveballs at you of like the stand was like that it was like that um some of his short stories like night flyer and hmm. dolan's cadillac he would have that like weird twist and so i, I enjoy it like writers that can throw a twist at you and you go oh i didn't see that coming <laughs> you mm -hmm. know and uh so so when I, I found tolkien and i read the hobbit um i know i ran out and i got the first i just bought the books i know i saw them at like a Store and I ended up buying like a box set and I started reading them. Um, first book, um, I probably got like halfway through it and I was just like, these are amazing. Mm -hmm. He was building such a world. Yeah. And, and I've always, I've always had kind of an appreciation for the, that skill, like being able to build not just a really good story, but to actually build an entire world that you can see the possibility of there being other stories beyond the one that you're currently yeah in. it's like the mystery yeah. that like leads to more imagination from the yeah. viewer or reader that kind of like cultures into it like you would mm -hmm. build when you went to rivendale you felt like you were experiencing the elf culture and then when you went to the mines of moria you got the dwarf culture you could see how vastly different the two cultures were mm -hmm. you know with the, the elves everything was sort of curved and beautiful and light and feathery the dwarves are very rigid and cubic and solid and strong yeah. and like rough. And then you have the orcs and everything, nothing straight, everything's crooked, everything's sharp and pointy and bitey and dirty and rusty. And, yeah. You know, so he did a really good job of that. And then you have yeah. the hobbits even, they, they had this nice simple country life. You know, they, the rest of the world didn't know they were there and they didn't give a shit about the rest of the world because <laughs> they were just busy farming and eating and drinking mm. and having a good time. It, uh, yeah. Yeah, me as well. And like, and even like, so I'm kind of a late bloomer, in other words, like going back to what I was saying before, but I really got into a lot of that stuff after high school. Like, so I, I read all this stuff and, and things like that. But, um, and one of the great things as well about Tolkien is just his, uh, his play with words and like, how, like how he strings them together. And like, he was like a, um, like an old English professor, right? Yeah. So he knew like exactly what he was doing with everything, and yeah. and just had has all. There's a lot of history you can find yeah, in in the words. Yeah. And, you know, and he did that well. And he also was. It's weird to think that he was buddy buddy with the guy that did the line, the witch in the wardrobe. Right. right. C.S. Lewis, C. S. Lewis yeah. And yeah. Writing back and forth to each other is a challenge, right? Yeah. It's amazing. I, I went to, uh, so yeah, like I kind of went on a deep dive on Tolkien a little bit when I was touring Europe and I, I went to Oxford and, uh, oh yeah, it was so cool. Like I, I kind of, I knew I was going to that town, right. Yeah. But what I didn't realize was that there was like an exhibition on Tolkien's, uh, original like manuscripts and watercolors. Oh, wow. And so I saw a poster for it right when I got out of the train. So I was like, sweet, I know what I'm doing today. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I was only there for one day. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was awesome, yeah. Just that's seeing great. all the watercolors and stuff. Good for you, man. That's that's fantastic. 
Um, you took in the Geiger one too, right? Oh uh, yeah, the Geiger one was sweet. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Sorry, is it Geiger or Geiger? Um, I don't know. I always hear both ones, but I'm not sure which one's official. I, I'm not sure. It might be Geiger, actually. Geiger. Yeah. 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 Um. Well, I think. He, well, yeah, he's Swiss, but he's like German. He's on the German side of 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 well, Swiss. He he's kind of a bit of both, like. Okay. I think he lived a lot in Switzerland, maybe, and maybe as well Germany, but, uh, yeah, he's kind of, I don't know which one he would be leaning towards more officially, but. His design work is pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, his, uh, his museum's, like, in a castle, pretty much. Yeah. Like, well, let's say, like, in, in kind of, like, the more town area of the castle, and there's a castle nearby, but he often exhibited in that castle, and the castle's, like, super famous because, uh, um, well, for one period, like during like the I want to say late eighteen hundreds, um, it was kind of like artist commune, and a lot of painters just hung out there, yeah. and musicians and stuff like that. And some of the painters would like paint on the walls and stuff like that. And so that's still uh, yeah. re- readily available to look at and stuff. Um, but yeah. Yeah. You know, like Monet and Renoir and all those guys were all friends. Mm-hmm. And they would paint pictures for each other and just exchange art all the time. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. Like, to me, that's what's amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I feel lucky that I get to do a little bit of that with what I do. You know, every time I get to sit down and draw beside another cartoonist that I've admired, it's just like, I get a little bit, like, in awe. Like, I sit beside Tom Grumman at a Saskatoon show and I'm like, And I hung out with him for two days and we just chatted and drew sketches and had a blast. He's just a wonderful person. So it's nice when you can kind of see that, you know, out and around you. Mm -hmm. uh, It's great. I remember seeing that with, I think it was your Facebook feed. You would say certain things and then it'd be like interactions Mm -hmm. with artists that I've only seen their names on like comic book covers and stuff like that. It still blows me away when they talk to you. Walt Simonson and I've had so many conversations on Facebook and I'm like you're Walt Simonson <laughs> <laughs> or Kelly Jones I'm like he's so down to earth and he's hilarious and he I'll put a piece of artwork up there that I've done and he'll he'll whisper to me oh that is like how you did the car I'm like damn <laughs> <laughs> yeah I still get kind of blown away by my fan fanboy out every time that they reach out like Eric Larson I've had Fred Hambeck, I can love Hambeck. I'm a cartoonist. I love cartoonists. He's a cartoonist. I love him. He's wonderful. He drew a piece of art for me and sent it to me. Like it's Hambeck. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. So I, I love that stuff. It's it's nice to to get to be a fan too, right? So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoy that. It's it's a lot of fun. You just is it once a year that you go off and do that drawing? Is it, I don't want to say camp, but yeah, um, the illustration masterclass. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah, um, once a year I go to it uh, in uh, in June, and like it's it's pretty awesome. Like uh, you basically have like I want to say a dozen of like the top fantasy and science fiction illustrators, and and there's 
sort of the core faculty faculty but then there's like guests as well so like those guests will sort of rotate out every year or so and uh some of the people will be like mike mignola or like ian mckay who's famous for doing uh darth maul and stuff like that and um donato giancola who's famous for his uh amazing like uh almost like renaissance like paintings of uh or like more like more like uh it's not the right period but more like Bougereau style like that'd be I forget which period he falls under but it's more like I don't know if it's like pre-Raphaelite or I don't know I'm bad with some of my periods like very classical like high realism anyways but he does like fantasy Lord of the Rings type stuff right and so but they're all doing like they're all like just amazing oil painters like they could be like masters from hundreds of years ago when when art was like in its prime right like they they that's their influence right and it's all the magic artists and stuff so and and all the students are amazing too like there's some of them are like high grade professionals to just up-and-coming students and uh and so you learn so much just from like the community like it's it's kind of like a mini community that meets up every so often like half the people are repeat uh students right and so I've been kind of enjoying that recently. Mignola was the last one? Yeah, Mignola was at the last one, yeah. He's kind of, he's been there off and on a few years um, in the past, yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. He's somebody I would love to sit down and have a beer with just to chat with him. Yeah. Yeah, he had to leave early this last time, so I didn't really get a chance to chat with him this time, that time as much. Because I kind of just, he had his lecture and then it was announced that he was leaving, like right. soon after, so I don't know if something happened. Uh but I, I had recently become more of a fan since the, like, cause previously I had, um, like met him at a other, at the same workshop, like multiple years before. Um, and, uh, but I just, I hadn't read as much. Like now I'm kind of going through the whole catalog. Oh, yeah. So, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm about like halfway through everything. So, so yeah, it's, it's been pretty interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also just love that he's drawing a lot of the stories that he's pulling are coming from old wives' tales, yeah, like fairy tales, and mm-hmm. weave them all into this like really colorful universe. and like kind of shamelessly too, yeah. like and like like not that there's a problem with it, but like just it just shows you what you can kind of pull from as an artist. Yeah. Like you don't have to be afraid of pulling from these old sources and and mixing things right. and just kind of indulging yourself in the themes that you like that's kind of his whole career is based on just wanting to draw the things that he loves which obviously should be everyone's career goal but sometimes it's not that obvious and that's what i really like about his story because he at some point he he was trying to just be like a good comic artist right um but he didn't really fit in a lot of the different superhero comics i remember they had him on alpha flight Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. And he did a, a story with, I think, Sasquatch and the Hulk. Oh, I don't know that one, yeah. And, and I was like, this is great, but why? Like, it just, it seems yeah. odd. I think the issue before that was done by John Byrne. Yeah. Like, that traditional superhero sort of. Well, from what I remember is, yeah, like, he like he really, like, excelled at that monster stuff. Yeah. But not every superhero comic is like that, right? So he yeah. he didn't feel like he had a place um, yeah. until he went on his own kind of run. well he did the batman one but he still that kind of gave him the sort of leeway to uh yeah that gave him a lot of confidence i think and and some leeway to like now make his own stuff um yeah 
Yeah. Right. And it feels like when you got to do Talking by Gaslight, you're just like, just do your own thing. Yeah. You can kind of feel it now. Like, the way the art kind of comes across, it, it feels like a Hellboy story. But mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when you get the, the first Hellboy issues, and it's pretty, I mean, you had, I think he had John Byrne writing the first couple of stories that he did. Yeah, or like, yeah, like as an editor or maybe like a co-writer like a or something. Writer. Yeah. He helped him with a lot of it. And yeah. Yeah. Like when he does the wolves of St. August and um, Conqueror Worms. Oh, yeah. Oh, so good. And when they get the, like, I liked the initial colors. Yeah. Those ones were kind of cool. Facial but when, but then, yeah. like, well, who's the first guy, though? There was a different guy at the beginning, I think. But once they get Dave Stewart, that, it really cooks off. And you get that yeah. sort of iconic color it's stuff Dave, happening. Color palette that yeah, it complements like uh, Mike Mignola so well, and then the previous. I mean, and then like all the other artists that worked on Mike Mignola's yeah. stuff as well with Dave Stewart. But. Well, the first guy that they had, I can't remember who it was. Yeah, but he did more of a superhero style color. Well, I want to say it was very '90s, like yeah. you know that like really like, like that one purple and that one like green that you would just see like on even like '90s clothes. You know what I mean? Like just that kind of style. Yeah, too saturated maybe in some in all over the place, but it was still kind of cool. But. Oh, interesting. Because now, like in trade paperbacks, we obviously are different now, and I haven't seen like an old issue of yeah. of that. Yeah, the newsprint comics. The color... I'm trying to think what year those kind of transitions. Like yeah. Was it Because yeah. I've seen like old issues of other comics, but not like a not like a first of Hellboy, for yeah. example. I, I think the first issues of Hellboy came out on on, on newsprint. Hmm. Okay. And then the coloring went full digital, and you started seeing like hundreds. Well, that yeah, I would say. I would say Hellboy would be on the cusp then, because I want to say that it came out in '93, just by, like it's in the cusp, yeah. So it must be, yeah. And also, Dark Horse would have been still like in like it's like a more independent company, so they might have been using more primitive stuff, not like transitioned maybe. Hmm. It was it was nice. It was like a stark black and white comic book, but it didn't have any glossiness. Yeah. It felt like it felt like a pulp. Like it really did. It felt like yeah. a pulp. They need to go back to some of those papers. I think. I yeah. I think sometimes people experiment with them, but there's, there's it's not common. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's easier if you're not doing color, yeah, but yeah. yeah. It just it fits. It's just yeah. so, I mean, and it's so much cheaper. I right. Mean, Mm. I want them to have to spend five bucks for a book. Didn't DC do a run that was like 
a bunch of newspaper things like 10 years the ago. The Johnny DC line was a lot of newsprint mixed in there because it was all aimed at kids, right? So they didn't care as much about like the gloss. I'm trying to, no, but there was something, I can't, it was during one of the reboots or yeah. something, but they came out with like a monthly newspaper that had single page oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. serials. Yeah. I can't remember what they called that. I remember seeing the But they did that for a while, and I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Because, yeah, when I moved here in 93, everyone had gone glossy that I... Yeah. Like, I was mostly a DC guy. Well, Image was a big push on that. Like, when Spawn number one came out, it was all glossy. I think everybody was chasing that at the same time. Because I know the Spider-Man issues that I had leading up to Spawn number one were all on newsprint. <laughs> and then Spawn number one came out, and it was so like it was a gloss I think that was one of the selling features it was a fully glossy book and the colors were really that, that 90s you know the greens and the purples and mm -hmm. the reds and the you know all the the, the, the the tones and things and I think every image book that came out was on gloss stock and I think they were the same price as the Marvel books at the time oh. <laughs> yeah so and Spawn sold something like over a million copies the first issue. I'm like, I can't can you imagine? Yeah. A million copies. Like I can't even imagine what Spawn is. That's crazy. Even when you look back now, because I think yeah. comics are more in a low right now. Like I think everyone's the focusing only on T V now. Right now that sells anywhere near that is my little pony. <laughs> wow. Not even a joke. It sells it's sells so many copies it's ridiculous. And so many trades. Um, yeah, it's crazy. The only thing I think that sells better is that Dogman by uh, uh, Daft Gilkey, the guy that does uh, Captain Underpants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's in this classic market now. I mean, school book fairs are such a gold mine for, for for trade paperbacks because you can make of it. Yeah, well, Scholastic existed. Yeah, when We've I was a, a kid, right? Yeah. That's got a monopoly on the market, man. They're yeah. in all yeah. the schools. Yeah, it's my nephew's favorite right now. He just got yeah. Bone for his birthday, oh, and I got him. Yeah, I, and I got him in, Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> really? Like, so I'm like, here, here's a transition. <laughs> like, here's something else. <laughs> Shit, that's a good uncle. <laughs> no messing yeah. around. Just yeah. Yeah, when Bone came out, it was around the time of the Death of Superman stuff. And I picked up the first, like, 12 issues at a comic book convention. Like, Regina had this little thrown-together comic book convention, and they had Tom Grummet come down. And so I, I went because I wanted to get my autograph on the Death of Superman comic. Oh, yeah. And I was at somebody's table, I can't remember who. And he had this bone book on the table. And I was like, what is this? And he was like, oh, it's a funny, you know, cartoon book. And I was, so I was like, okay, he's got me funny in cartoons. So I bought the whole bloody set, took it home, and I read it. And I'm like, I went down to, to uh, Comic Readers. And I was like, um, I want that on my pile. <laughs> it's, it's like I was hooked. Six issues in, I'm like, I need to keep reading this book because it comes out. Mm -hmm. Dana was big on Bone from when I met him. Yeah, well, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, immediately. He was mm -hmm. like, oh, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I had never heard of Bone, or is it Usagi Ujimbo? Mm. Those are the Usagi. two that Dana yeah. yeah. about that I have no idea. I have, yeah. I have loved Usagi Ujimbo and Stan Sakai since I was a little kid. Since the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out with the Rabbit Samurai toy. Yeah. I saw that thing. I still have it. But it was like, I don't know, there was just something about it. I saw it and I was like, that is the most badass toy I've ever seen in my life. I need to know more about this character. And I mean, 
again, no internet, right? So mm-hmm. I had to go down to the local comic book store and I brought my toy and I'm like, do you have this guy's comic book? And they're like, yes, we do. And I was like, <laughs> excellent. Because <laughs> I want it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I bought all the telephone book editions and I've been giving them to my daughter to read because she's 11. And I'm like, she's really into, she wants to draw, she wants to create. And so I'm trying to foster that, you know, let her do that and get her in, you know, if she wants to do it, let her do it. So I bought her her own leather bound sketchbooks and I buy her own pencils and, uh, you know, if she wants to come and mess around on the tablet, I'm like, go, go hard, you know. She's watched me do it from scratch so many times. Like, she's the only kid I know in her class who can operate a drafting nice i'm very proud of that (laughs) but i also think schools have changed like oh so much trades are in libraries now like i remember when Mm. Regina public library dana and them would donate trades and stuff yeah and so comic books are mainstream it's not the nerd book right like yeah i think the switch over with the marvel movies really taking off and people really understand well there's a big switch over in education right educators have started to understand that comic books are a fantastic vehicle for storytelling and that if you can get a kid excited about storytelling you can develop other things right like my wife is a teacher and so she's done classes about how do you tell a story and i helped her put together a lesson around just a three panel script you got your begin you got your middle you got your end that's all you need three panels and it works because kids understand you know, the action, reaction, beginning, middle, end, and if you've got it in a nice, short, simple format, they don't have to create a whole comic book, you can do just one script, it's fantastic, and she's had me come into classrooms, and I, I bring with me books like Yusaki, Yojimbo, Bone, Akiko, um, God, so many, um, and kids get it really quickly, like, they, they know when something, if something's funny, they'll tell you, right, like, kids don't have a filter, I love that yeah. about them, like, when I, when I did the, So we created the first issue of Ig. It was in a leather-bound, like scrapbook, and we just sat by the fire and we started doodling and drawing up funny stuff. And I said, "Well, what should happen next?" And like, there was no script, there was no plan. It was just a bunch of funny events happening to this poor kid, caveman, who's just trying to get through his day. And she was giggling the whole time. And I'm like, "Well, if she thinks this is funny, and she's in on the gag. I think I've got something." So we sat down and wrote three more stories. I knew I had a whole train. And now we've written four more. So. Nice. <laughs> I have your original book. Oh, very high. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, that all came about just sitting by a campfire, right? Like you're just hanging around, having some fun. So I love, I love working with kids because kids, they don't have assumptions. They just want to enjoy stuff. They just want to laugh. They want to read. They want to. They want to feel that sense of adventure, excitement, that that sense of drama. So, when you find something that gets that gets them, it's really easy to teach them a lesson with it, right? Like, mm-hmm. Bone does a great job of that, you know. They, and then I found um, one of the things I really love about Yusaki Yojimbo is is the same thing. Like, you get 
yeah, he's a samurai rabbit, but he's got this like super huge sense of morals and like sense of, of duty and honor and and it comes across so well, but also Stan takes the time, he'll do like a comic book around the tea ceremony. So he's mm-hmm. educating you about like this complete cultural thing in the middle of a story where the rabbit's being chased by, you know, bat ninjas trying <laughs> to get a scroll to the panda bear guy, right? Like mm-hmm. he, he weaves that stuff in there so well. It's just amazing. He did a whole story about um, a fan dance with this fox who was picking people's pockets while she was doing this fan dance. But he he, he puts so much attention into you know the movement and, and the sense of the storytelling that you just like you get drawn right into it. Um, he's a master at what he does. It's just he's somebody who's brain I'd like to pick very much. I, I've talked to him online a few times, but it's not the same as getting in person and you know getting to just sit down with somebody and go like, man, I want to Sergio Aragoni is another guy that's on my bucket list of artists I'd love to meet. He's, uh, he's a cartoonist, cartoonist, you know, Mad Magazine, mm. uh, Grizzly Wanderer, like just a, a crazy fast artist. And, uh, I've heard that he's the worst guy to go up against in the sketch school because he's just so bloody fast. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I want to meet him just to get it. It would be amazing. And that mustache is like a crazy thing. <laughs> yeah. He looks like a cartoonist. Yeah, I try to because I have your book and then I have your book up there. Oh, yeah. And I try to stuff around from the people that I bring That's over awesome. and chat with mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, one thing I was kind of wondering from both of you, um, since you've done stuff that's very in the public eye, and, yeah. um, at what point does it stop being weird? Like, you have stuff that's in, like, booster packs and games and things like that with the fantasy flight. Like, how how long did it take you to get over kind of like seeing your stuff as mass retail? Um, I mean, like it's still, it's always awesome when something new comes out. Like I always enjoy like seeing how it turned out in print and just like holding it. Like, cause I, like previously it's just a digital file, like in this case for me. Yeah. So it's, it's always cool in that case, but um, yeah, it's, and it's like, I guess it's kind of become commonplace for me to like, cause I know my stuff exists more or less like all over the place in comic readers right. in different kind of sections. Um, at first I was like, it, it was, it was really weird and like kind of, yeah, it was just like really cool to think about, but now it's like, I kind of forget about it. Like it's just commonplace for me cause it's, it's kind of been like seven years now yeah. or so for that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, it, it's it's a little bit it was a little bit different after droidography because like multiple people like wanted to interview me and stuff like that and that was really weird <laughs> at first so that was like a different portion like i guess I, I had done a little bit of like interviews like radio interviews with uh with the junos and the strumbellas um getting a juno for the record that i did artwork for and so that was kind of a little bit of the beginning but that was a different uh like genre right so so that kind of died down a little bit and then the Star Wars stuff kind of picked up again with droidography and so yeah that stuff's always weird just getting like in like they contact you to do like an interview and you're just like okay <laughs> like yeah. that's still you got I mean that is still the coolest thing yeah ever, right? like you've got a it's a platinum record right oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah well yeah record. I have I have like a couple I have like that's amazing I have a platinum and a gold yeah that's amazing yeah yeah, yeah. 
that was a cool bonus. I never expected that either. Like that was just insane. Like for them to actually just feel like uh, sending me one, like making an extra and sending one. Yeah, yeah. But it's I don't think it's necessary. Like from I don't know if I don't know if all the artists like get one kind of thing, right? So it's just so cool that they did that for me. Yeah, and just it's crazy that like so many people have heard that stuff. I think that's the only fan art that I've ever seen. Like it didn't get directly sent to me, but I've seen it on Strumbella's uh instagram was like of the different album artworks i've never seen anybody else like really copy my artwork besides like my nephew or or niece or something like that but uh it's weird yeah it was kind of weird yeah but um i'm sure it's happened more than i realized with those albums because just the yeah it's kind of crazy how big yeah yeah Oh yeah. And you get comp copies, but it's like that experience of going to the store and it, seeing it, it on the yeah. shelf and then picking it up and then paying for it is still to me because I, I like it's like you said it's a digital file right I've seen it mm. or even the ones that I've done on paper that I've then scanned and and done all the other work to um, like the last one I mean it's on Apple paper but seeing it actually in print in the book it's just such an Yeah. And then you, you know, take it home and I bag it and I put it with all the other ones. And, um, what was really weird is I, I was rearranging my, my studio space a little bit and I kind of pulled out all of the stuff I've done and it was like this this massive stack of books. Yeah. You know? And I was like, no, I can't be all this shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Like, yeah. You know, you go, well, I, you know, I did this thing, I did that thing, I did this thing. It all seems so abstract until you're yeah. holding it as a physical thing in your hands. So it's a little weird. Yeah, I think that'll always be weird for me. Like, like the idea of having fans, like getting mm-hmm. fan mail in about something you've done, or like when a publisher reaches out and says, "Oh, people really enjoyed your strip in the last issue," or um, a publisher goes, "Oh, you know, this this strip was awesome." That, like I did a um, we're in Scary Monsters magazine now, and it's a very different strip. That's not as goofy cartoony as the cartoon stuff so it's more realistic and so it also involves a ton of research because I'm doing characters from movies so I want to make sure that they like Bella Lugosi has to look like Bella Lugosi right yeah but screw up Bella Lugosi's face I'm gonna hear about it yeah so I, I studied you know you study these things mm-hmm. I just did the Phantom of the Opera like the original 1930s silent film and I had never seen it yeah so I went and I got it and watched it and I was yeah. going to see blown away at how good the movie is yeah. even though there's no dialogue and you listen to an orchestra you know, do, 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 you know throughout the whole movie um, but the action the actors you can tell they're all stage trained mm. I don't know if that makes any sense like they just have yeah. a way of conveying emotion and feeling and anger and scared and, and to see this all playing out in black and white was just it was mind blowing so I was immediately like I watched it and I was like holy shit the bar's high Or else, boy, I feel like I've let this movie down if I, if I don't. So, yeah, I find I find there's that. Um, yeah, I just, I love seeing it. I love seeing people like, react to it. I love to see um, different ages of people coming up. Like, my, 
my cable and shows is always very like nine to ninety. Like it seems like I have the people that are really into like the Saskatchewan stuff that I've done, or they're into the car theme stuff. Like I'm into a whole new crowd of people, which is really weird. So I'm not a car guy. Hmm. Like I love cars, I enjoy them. They're really fun to draw, but I couldn't tell you what a catalytic converter is or where it goes on an engine. I just draw the engine. Right? Like I, I don't know. And and so I find the most stressful thing for me is when we're doing vehicles in a, in a book, like a specific model of a car, uh, I spend so much time researching because I don't want to be, I don't want to screw it up. I don't yeah. want to be the guy that draws like the wrong fender or the wrong whatever or the wrong gear. Yeah. Like, oh God, if I drew the wrong gear of the car and I mislabeled it, then yeah. grab your torches and pitchforks, I'll be in trouble. <laughs> you know, well, it just, it adds so much more to the artwork when you know what you're drawing, yeah. like it makes it authentic, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. To look like the car, right? Yeah. So, so I find I find that's the only real stressful part of it, and I find like everything else I just sort of forget. It's like you put so much. I I'll work on stuff, and six months later it comes out. Yeah. You know, and you forget you you did it. Yeah, it's weird when you forget. Even or even if like years go by and you go back to like pull out your books or whatever, right? And you forget like a certain chunk of them or something. Yeah, and you look at it, and you go, I drew this. When did I draw this? I yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Or I have like little folders of like just works in progress that were like yeah. just like ideas on a whim. Like if I was working on a project, like a commission, but then I had to like get this idea out of me. So I'll like yeah. start a file and just like scribble it in, but then I'll forget. Like I saved it on the computer, so I'll like find it and I'll be like, what? That, okay, that's weird. <laughs> like, or just, yeah. When did I start this? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I I have like sometimes I have weird notes too on like post its and like I have just a stack of like post its in like different spots and stuff, and I'll go back to some and I'm like this doesn't make sense at all. Like, where was I coming from? At the time it probably seemed genius, but now it's <laughs> yeah. Packaging was different, and you didn't realize at the time you were a bestseller. Oh, and we were, yeah, we were doing our first one of our earliest book signings, and um, the covers all had that blue strip on them. That was it, yeah. And the, the cover was just pure yellow, hmm. so the blue really stood out. And I remember looking at it and going, um, What's up with our book? Like, what's happening? And I noticed, Oh, bestseller. And it was that was the weirdest thing for me, was like knowing that. Like, of all the things to hit a bestseller list. And then I found out we were on a, not just a Saskatchewan bestseller, we were a Canadian bestseller. It was just stupid, mind-blowing. Like, and, yeah, that's kind of why I was asking, like, mm. where's that moment where you yeah. realize you have this reach, right? What like, kills me is that that book is still in print nine years later. Like, books usually have a shelf life of maybe six months. So to see it still being printed is, to me, still really crazy. I think you're a Christmas, a Christmas book staple. Yeah, every year. Because how many people leave this province every year? Yeah. And 
it's we, the perfect coffee table. We hmm. hit off on the right size juice and mails really cheap. Like you can just get some of those like bubble mailers. Mm-hmm. So people send it for like three dollars to their cousin or whatever. And I've gotten emails from all over the world with that book. London, uh, India, China, which is just so bizarre. Hmm. Uh, South Africa, which I found really, you know, it, we loved the book. It was really funny. And I'm like, how did you under, how, couldn't have any context? And you don't have snow there. <laughs> and you <laughs> even pronounce Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, to me, that's always really interesting. Um, yeah, it still kills me when I go into a bookstore and it's on the shelves. Because I'm like, I would have thought this book would be long out of print. But it's still going. Still chugging along. Yeah. And that's what I was kind of wondering. Like, you had the reach yeah. with that. And you've worked on game products that mm-hmm. you could go to any comic store anywhere in the world and walk in and be like, holy shit, I drew that, right? Like, I was just mm-hmm. kind of wondering where it dawned on you. And like you said, you kind of just get used to it. Yeah. It like, I don't expect you guys to both wake up every day and be like, it's time for the best seller to have a shower. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's like, I guess there's always going to be different milestones too. Like that, those were yeah. milestones for that period. There's still other milestones that I need to get to. That'll be really weird. Like, like I guess I've seen my name in movie credits, but it, th- that, those have been like indie movies, and there's only been a couple of those that I've been in, like like Wolf Cop and uh, Supergrid. Yeah, but like it's still not like not to degrade that job or anything, but like, but I couldn't imagine my name being on like a a Marvel movie or like or like a Weta Workshop thing or something like that. That that's like high on my list, like to do something like, yeah, you know, but. Yeah. Um, I've always wanted to sort of dabble and get into a bit of the animation stuff, like doing storyboarding or something like that. But it's just, man, I'm so busy right now. Yeah. Stuff, right? Um, I kind of do a little bit of that. Well, I've done a lot of that in the past. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like it depends on. Well, you can storyboard some really cool stuff, or you can storyboard some really boring stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah, which is it's kind of one of the pay the bills type thing for me. Yeah. Um, but I learned like some cool things and stuff. But for me, the the big issue is I still have a full time day job, right? So I've got a wife and kids and mortgage and blah blah blah. Hmm. And having a pension and healthcare is kind of important. Forty six, man. I, I need to make sure I can pay for my medication. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I sort of temper what I want to do with what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. I would love to, but if I do, then something else has to go. Yeah. Um, and, and I always feel like that sense of obligation, like I've said, oh, we'll do this thing, so I've got to do this thing. I'm the same way, yeah. I, I can't just be like, sorry, man, I said I could do this thing, but you know what, I do like this other thing. Yeah. And so I have, like, I have four graphic novels right now sitting on my hard drive that are completely ready to be printed. Mm, wow. And I don't want to print them through another publisher. I want to because I want to hang on to the control and they're just personal funds yeah but I don't have the time to figure out the logistics of getting it printed well, at that point no, or status because if I if I put the book out I want to market it a little bit right okay you have to go through process yeah you want to start yeah. looking at how do I get it distributed like egg I got 
got it into bookstores here, but not wider. I mean, I'm in mm-hmm. Ontario and Saskatchewan, but I'm not further along than I want to be. And I haven't even had a chance to put it on Amazon yet, so I'm taking 10 minutes to do that. I have the PDF, which is just to put it on Amazon. But it's just, I feel like you have to sort of um, block in that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I know that we have two other books right now that are on their way out. And I don't want to compete with myself. Like if I put out a book with a publisher, and then I have to beat that drum to promote it, and then to turn around at the same time and beat the drum to promote this other thing that I'm doing that I'm not doing for that guy, I feel like I really can't do that. Uh, or it'll just be spamming everybody, and then you'll just do white noise, and nobody wants to hear any more of what you're doing. So right. It's that's that's the tough juggling act I think that I'm finding right now. Um, but yeah, I would like to get more of my own stuff out. It's just I want to do it right. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to rush it. And um, like I'm writing that project I was talking to you about the other the other day, and and the script is coming along really nicely. Um, but I don't want to rush it. Like I want it to be. That's one where I would want to pitch it to a publisher, right? So that's a little different. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just tempering that that what I want to do with what I have to do right now. And I'm at the I'm at the saturation point where I can't really take on anything else. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I would love to do... I've had some people approach me, some writers that I would really love to work with, but it's like, I can't. Mm-hmm. There's one project I'm just too good with. Like, mm-hmm. Carson and I are in three magazines, and we have, like, three books right now, all in various stages of completion for three different publishers. Like, I have to get one of these three out the door, and then I have to get the other one out the door, and then the other one. And then if I can get far enough ahead on the magazine stuff, maybe then I can breathe a little bit and do something else. But right now I'm too, too swamped. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, we're pushing two hours, so oh, yeah. I'll wrap it up. No, um, when I switched to the three mic setup format, you guys were the first people I thought of. Um, well, I'm glad you did because I love hanging out with Joel. Yeah. <laughs> It's nice because now people don't have to listen to my voice very much because then I can just sit here and moderate a conversation between two artists, right? Yeah. And it just seemed to be, okay, I finally upgraded, got some better software, right? Who can I bring in? And it's like, right. I, for my own selfish reasons, I've just kind of wanted to be a fly in the wall with you guys kind of talk shop. So that was perfect. Oh, I appreciate the input. Yeah, fun as well. And I try, like, this is what, trip five for you? Four, five, something like that. It's been a few. Um, You're the first episode to pass 100 downloads, our very first one. That's crazy. Um, It's still the one that I recommend to people when they're like, which one should I listen to? And I say, just start at one. Um, Because like you had said, it takes time to get used to being interviewed. Mm, Yeah. When I started on this venture. I don't know how many times I've been interviewed. (laughs) Right. And so... I made sure my first two podcasts were people that are used to kind of sitting and being interviewed, yeah. right? And now I've kind of catered my setup to like, because what did I have a table originally? I think yeah. you both came here, but you had to yeah, sit right. up proper in front of these tripods, right? Yeah. And so I've evolved where it's sit back, relax, pull the thing up to your face and go, it's right? Good. Yeah. Yeah. This is much better. I like it. And it's, it's nice. It's, yeah. I didn't want it to be like this formal, proper sit-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Those are always awkward. I, I find um, 
my best interviews that I think I've done, I, I did an interview on CBC Radio, and the host was just very calm to talk to. Like, just very hmm. good at pulling the information out of you. So it just, I just, kinda, you just kind of forget that you've got a microphone in front of you and you just start talking. Yeah. And then the the audio tech came in the room after and goes, "Man, you got a voice for radio, dude." He goes, "That was a great interview." And I'm like, I just kind of forgot we were talking on the radio. I was just like, I was talking to the host and the microphone wasn't even thought right and then the last one I did was in comic readers with um, global and they had me drawing and so you're oh, so busy cool. drawing you don't think about the TV camera in your face and the interviews mic and right there and you're just you're just drawing yeah. and chatting about your stuff and having fun and that's my goal is to have if the mics can be the least like thing you think about when you're talking like yeah just You've kind of got it right in front. I don't know if that's impeding with what you're doing here, but <laughs> no, I, I situated it so I could see you and I could see Joel. Okay, <laughs> so I I went <laughs> no, I'm, like the addition of the arms, like it's I did it to look more professional, right? But at the end of the day, it makes it easier. You sit how you want, you sit how mm. you want, and even I'm me, totally reclined and relaxed. This is fun. Yeah, well, I was worried that that extension. I'm like. Is it going to be weird to ask somebody to come to my house and here, lay down and we're going to talk? Yeah. For those that, that can't see, I'm actually reclined on like a chaise and it's, it's, it's the only way to be interviewed, I tell you. Well, no, I've set the bar. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like Joel got the short end of the stick and sitting right well, I, I kind of thought about it and I was like, you know what, I'll leave it for Jason. I was like, I, I, I was debating, yeah, I was like, hmm. <laughs> I gave him the choice, so maybe he thought that was a little weird. No, I, I, I thought it would be comfortable, but I was like, well... I don't know. I just kind of left it on the table. Yeah. And when you sit like that, are you I appreciate it. Yeah. expecting a psychologist to maybe come in like, uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, I that's make a psychologist very well. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I survived the seventies, man. Yeah. 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 But I paid you in GI Joe's. I'll find something nice to do for you. Yeah. I, I don't know if you that. know about his, uh, collecting. Oh, he's GI Joe. Not sure. Yeah. And my Check mom's my Instagram. I got some stuff. On yeah. There. My mom's trying to like get my shit out of the house, <laughs> so she showed up this one day with like the ice cream bucket. It's all the old action figures. Yeah. And the cards, because they used to have like stat cards for all mm. the guys on the back of the original packaging. And so I have. I have a huge collection of that stuff now. Mm. I had a, a gentleman show up at my house with a big Tupperware tub full of E-Man and Star Wars and GI Joe stuff mm. one day, and I was like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i like I, I like the sort of i think when i was a kid growing up we didn't have a ton of money so i got good at fixing toys when they broke so when people bring me something that's broken i never look at it and go oh it's a broken toy i'm always like oh it's an opportunity to fix this broken toy and I, I, there's a lot of people in well i think it's like anything there's a community of people that are interested in the same things you're interested in and i find that a lot of them will if they have spare parts So like anytime I have something that's popular that's missing a wheel, I can probably find a wheel for somebody and you know take ten minutes to put the new wheel on and it's all set. So well, I have to know my mother is extremely happy that shit's not in her house anymore, but she just brings it here and it's. Thanks, Paul's mom. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate it. I highly doubt she has listened to one word I've said on here. <laughs> <laughs> you might be surprised. Yeah, yeah surprised. I yeah. get stats from all the kind of like it's country and city. It gives me all the stats for the download, yeah. and it's interesting because like all the ones that mm. we've done, 
um, I have reach everywhere. So I don't know if some guy in like yeah. the Russian Federation accidentally hit on the Polkata Savage experience because it doesn't strike me as whatever. I right? don't know. It's, uh, maybe it's like a keyword thing. Like maybe they're searching up a Paul and they they're like, oh, I wonder what this other Paul's up to. They're <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> Oh, yeah. they, they sort of look at your interests because you know they're always listening and then they try to feed you options um, so I know like in my current day job I can listen to music while I'm working and usually I listen to podcasts and so I blow through episodes of shows you know throughout the week so I'm always looking for something interesting to listen to and so sometimes it offers up stuff and sometimes it's a hit sometimes it's a miss and, hmm. you know and, and so I, I've been exploring and listening to a lot of different it's sending me a lot of Canadian true crime stuff right now. Which oh, is, yeah. Which is interesting. Um, I, was, I went down a history rabbit hole. It was sending me all kinds of history podcasts. And those are always really neat because I like learning about new cultures and, and things like that. So, yeah. Hmm. It's interesting. I kind of remember how I was asking you guys kind of where in your head you kind of realize like your name is on credits or an album or um, the Fantasy Flight stuff. Are you yeah. getting people emailing you from around the world um even with this little project i'm doing like i think i'm two downloads away from 2,000 people listening to me yeah isn't that crazy um and next on the fifth is the two-year anniversary that you sat yeah. down with me for the first time yeah. and so it's kind of neat like i'm averaging more than a listener a day right which is weird because this was just kind of a little fun well, project for me but to like see I my, said, you know, you start doing the thing, you just keep on doing the thing, and eventually people discover you doing yeah. the thing and then yeah. enjoy it. And yeah, it's like a snowball effect too. Yeah. It's like you, if you if you're not consistent, you won't build up that viewership. But like over time, you're yeah. you're going to no matter what, like to some degree or another, like however big the snowball will get. But right. but you got to just keep trucking along, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I just started recently experimenting with making like little YouTube videos, but I'm not doing because of the nature of the work I can't really do videos of me while I'm drawing mm. the stuff I'm drawing and, and I found that hard to do you understand that yeah like cause usually I can't show you the like when contract states I can't show anybody the finished art mm. for a year after, oh yeah until a year after it's been out in print and I get that because you're not going to buy the magazine you get the comic book for free online totally understandable so I can show a little teaser I can show a snippet of a So that's been tough because I wanted to. I want to do the online drawing stuff, but I can't, and I don't have free time to just come up with an online drawing video of me drawing whatever, right? Like I'm working on projects. Like Paul McFarland kind print. of pops Yeah, I would love to do that, and I have the setup for it. I've got the software. I can do it, but I can't. So I've been making videos of me doing other stuff. Like I made a deck box for my commander deck, my my Ange Falcon Wrath deck. Out of uh, made a, a vampire skull. I saw that. So one. I put that on YouTube. And it's like, oh yeah, it's something, right? So and then I built a dollhouse with my daughter out of like foam core and like uh, crafting sticks because she has these dolls that we couldn't find a dollhouse that was the right proportions for it. So we built one. Uh, you know, it was like an afternoon project kind of thing. And and yeah, I don't have very many people checking it out, but I'm just pissing around with it really. You know, it's just like you know, go make some videos and see how it goes. Yeah. And people it, like it, they like it. No, and I hear you. Like, some of the people I've had over here, like, 
even the one where I drove and did a podcast with Brutus Beefcake. Yeah, that's the like, that's a good one. I was convinced that was going to be my launching platform, mm-hmm. and he went into the Hall of Fame that next yeah. year. Yeah. It did nothing for me. And but then I'll do ones with you guys, and then mm-hmm. it'll get it'll shoot out of the gates because I you can hashtag and kind of label, so I'll put like right. artist and just how, yeah. like, whatever the career is of the person I'm talking to. And all of a sudden, it's like the ones with you guys shot up really well. Hmm. Um, one that really shocked me is I had a chat with my realtor friend. Right. And she kind of talked about like how housing market works and what you need to do to buy a house. Like a really simple one. Yeah. But something I wanted to talk through. That one did. That's like my sec. It's number two behind you. Yeah. And it. So I don't understand it, right? But, but it's an interesting. Yeah, it's hard to. Yeah. If you are in the market to buy a house, and a lot of people, like younger mid twenties, are interested. But the market is it's starting to cool off a bit. But last year, like for, I couldn't imagine trying to buy a house last year. Like, I mean, my son is 21. And, you know, he's looking at possibly buying a house in a year or two. And he works, he's a tradesman, he works, makes good money, but it's like, you want 500 grand for a house? Like, how do you pull 500 Gs out of your pocket to buy a house? And what's that mortgage look like? Like, I can't even fathom that. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, even renting in, in this city is getting very expensive. It's dropped since I've moved in here. And it's nice that when I moved in here, this place was pushing, I think, 1300 And then everything softened up. Yeah. And they actually dropped my rent mid-lease because there were so many empty units around. So it went down to like a 1000 I'm like, okay, cool, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I'll take this with Yeah, so you. like, yeah. it must be, it. my rent fluctuates with market value. I think part of that is because a lot of the new houses that they drew up in like Harbor Landing and in, in that place um, west of Newton yeah. are unsold. So they're being rented out. Even as it's growing towards that new movie yeah. theater. Oh yeah. There's yeah. just empty condo complexes. Yeah, and it's because nobody has um, that kind of cash. Yeah. Like, it's oversaturated for places oh, and stuff. Yeah. Sure. yeah. And now that the bypass is built, I hear we're going to lose hundreds of people living here that just moved here to build the bypass, right? So yeah. now think, yeah, oh, now wow. be va- yeah. the vacancy rate's going to go way up in the yeah. next Interesting. little while here. A lot of them are going to be moving to Saskatoon, so apparently they're building a bypass up there. Oh, goody. So. <laughs> yeah. We so. just need to get rid of the train. Yeah. <laughs> train yeah. to the city. I know. It only stops traffic like a five. Yeah. Day, <laughs> I was late for a date. I'm bitter. <laughs> I can't blame you there, dude. I, I, I like I said earlier, I, I can't like I've been married for twenty three years. I can't even imagine dating. Like I'm hearing all these stories like both my son Logan is single, right? So he's on like you know, he's trying out these like these online apps and I'm like that just seems so foreign to me. Like Yeah. Back when I was dating it was you would go you would meet somebody in person and if you kinda hit it off then yeah, you were you mm-hmm. could go for a couple of dates and see how it went. And that's the irony is I had used a bunch of those apps yeah. and it's it's disastrous because I'm the same age as Jason, right? We're so we're eighties kids yeah. and still women our age, nerd is a horrible word. Mm. And so Right. Yeah. Now nerd is cool. Like yeah. people are watching Marvel movie movies and yeah. playing D and D and all this stuff. But for my generation, if they smell nerd, it's still a deterrent. Which right. Well, and I'm like, I'm 46 this year, right? And so I think if I was single and trying to date, and the girl was like, 
Oh, what are your interests? And I said, well, I draw cartoons. You're going to be like, dude, you're 46. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I still take that as like kind of a confidence thing too. Like, yeah. and, and like, like the nerdy stuff too. Like I, I, I find it influences maybe me more in, in my mind than it should. But, mm-hmm. but I always think like, well, like, yeah, like I have moderate success, but it's not like I'm like, I, it's not, I don't see it as a very attractive thing as like a, as like that a partner would want, you know, like maybe some would, you know, but it's, yeah. it, I always think of it as more of a downside. I don't know why it's probably not yeah, like I to mean, most people, but to me, that's where I come from too. Like my wife and I have been together for forever. And, and so she's always seen me doing this. Yeah. Like ever since I was a young kid, like she knew this is what I wanted to do. And, but she also knew I wouldn't put like the family life at risk to do it. Right. Right. Yeah.
friends with different screen screens, and knowing that my wife is supportive was great. But I couldn't imagine dating now. I'm just, I don't know. I draw by party style. <laughs> I was getting close to being on that path. That's that's where I think I am at. I don't know. Like I I get kind of like torn to like I'm kind of lazy. And like I don't get, I don't get out lots, and so I experiment with like the online stuff. But then I'm also kind of lazy with that, so you know what I mean. So it doesn't really work. Like I have to put myself out there, obviously. But um, yeah. I always think I'm kind of like a weirdo, though, just with like like the stuff I mentioned before. You know, like like a black sheep kind of thing, but probably not. You know, type thing. But you know, it's just. What's nice to know that the the nerd thing still happened because i thought it was just my generation that was like nerd it's definitely more commonplace obviously yeah. but it's um yeah, yeah. you got to find the right person obviously still yeah, you know it's still that's still a factor obviously yeah and i think it depends too on how like in the the zeitgeist you are like mm. i know like around saskatchewan um unfortunately i have a face it's hard for guests that people go oh you look familiar and so i don't say like like i had I was getting a procedure done. I had a doctor asking for an autograph. <laughs> I'm like, can we do this later? <laughs> How about you just focus on what you're currently doing? If you do this really well with no pain, I'll sign something. <laughs> I'm like, dude, after we're done, no problem. Yeah. But right now, your hands are kind of busy. <laughs> yeah, the only time I've had somebody recognize me was I was at like the passport like agency oh, yeah. renewing it. And uh, I think I had met the guy at like one of the conventions maybe or something like that one of the fan expos and he and he played the games and stuff so oh, okay. he recognized me from that so that was kind of crazy but but it doesn't happen too often like either like i recognize the person or they recognize me because i actually know them from you know it's like such small town yeah, type thing right the but very, very small. yeah or like from the comic store like yeah. i would i know most people from the comic store yeah but Yeah, I try not to comment too much on it. Sometimes I'll make comments like, "Oh, I did that thing or this thing," but now I just like I don't comment and like I want to like let the if they happen to figure it out at some point, uh, maybe they won't because it's kind of you know like. But it's cooler that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you should, yeah. So, so yeah, that happens every now and then. It's uh, it's always funny. I don't know. That never happens to me because I don't have uh my pictures in any of my books actually, or anything you know any product. So that's the that's the difference there. Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of a blessing. Yeah. Like when we were we did the Costco book signing, they had this giant poster of myself and Carson, like our our, our mug shots, right, and then the the book cover. So I couldn't even walk the store hmm. people stopping me yeah I want your autograph I'm like well I, I, I the tables were there yeah the <laughs> you know it was like okay yeah. alright for Star Wars you should have been drawing yourself as the guy that was always getting like shot or blown up or oh yeah <laughs> just you know slip yourself in that's there the joy of doing what I do I sneak people in all, oh, all the time yeah no, I've definitely snuck myself in uh, yeah. maybe less on Star Wars one. I started doing it more I did it a few times, like like on this uh, end of the world RPG. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but like there's one where a guy's like falling off a cliff, 
and so I, it was perfect because it's just a regular guy right? it's just like it yeah. so i was like okay i fit like a regular guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> or like an average guy right so it's like i fit myself in a few times with that uh and i've been like the reference for like different uh game of thrones or maybe star wars things but you want to make it more authentic and you can't just make it yourself in some of those right. cases yeah. but um yeah i forgot you were on the game of thrones stuff too yeah yeah i always yeah <laughs> and there was lord of the rings too and stuff yeah, from yeah. fantasy flight yeah those were fun yeah yeah right on That'd be easy to do. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. i'm gonna cut it here all right awesome this is where we get everything out i'll end on this um my one friend that i met through wrestling one of the wrestlers he listens to all of them oh yeah and at one point i think it was him that suggested he's like why are they so long and um I'm on the Joe Rogan kind of format where it's, right. he always says it takes 20 minutes to relax, get the juices flowing, just talk. And if you get along with the people, you can talk forever. Like mm-hmm. I think two hours right. is almost my average, right? Yeah. And so he's like, you need to segment it or like split up your episodes. And I just said like, no, I like this long form. Now you can pause it and mm. go on or whatever. But it was right before we did a three and a half hour one. <laughs> and that was not on purpose. We just got chatting. I know. Whatever. And, and it's yeah. so funny because he had just, I swear he was just like, you need to make shorter podcasts. I'm like, no, it's fine. It's good. It was and like then, a big middle finger. And then I, <laughs> and then I upload this three and a half hour episode and he literally texts me. He's like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to end on that. Um, That's good. I appreciate this so much. Thanks yeah, guys. Thanks.